Hello, and welcome to episode 215 of Below the Fold, where some of the best content is just a scroll away. Let me throw down some introductions. We got Brandon Hassler in the His House, CEO and founder of Market Campus. So excited to be here. Good, me too. Paxton Gray, Director of Marketing Operations at 97th Floor. What's up? And I am Jacob Perry, Digital Marketing Manager at Vivint Smart Home. So today we're going to uh, talk a little bit about some things that have come up recently uh, in the SEO community uh, and digital marketing in general, one of which is dark patterns. Um, We'll get into what that means for those of you that don't. I've asked probably three people in the last uh, two weeks if they had heard of it and they were seasoned uh, digital marketers and they hadn't. So it doesn't seem like it's one of those things that's super common, uh, although it's probably known by other names uh, in depending on what circles you go in. And then if we have some time and if we feel like it, we can get into uh, ghostwriting, uh, which is a topic that we all engaged in on inbound.org and had some thoughts on. Uh, and if anything else comes up, uh, we'll talk about it. One thing actually I want to talk about that we can get into uh, at any point, uh, we got an email. I should have pulled this up, but we got an email from a guy named Franco. You know Franco, Brandon? Franco Acosta? Yep. I know him. Yeah, so he sent us an email, uh, and he you know praised our last episode, and he thought it was really great. He had one request, and that is that we maybe start to incorporate a segment called This Week in SEO. Uh, he thought that uh, there, was, well, there was one part of our last episode that kind of talked a little bit about that, and since we're kind of pulling in more inbound.org-related topics... He thought it would be cool if we, uh, maybe not every episode, but every once in a while, talked about uh, this week in SEO. Isn't that what the show is? Not necessarily. Like current events type this week? I, I th- It was not specified. Well, it so, seems like now that we're recording weekly, that's pretty much what we're doing, right? Uh, well, we've spent a lot of time on Snap Snapchat, which is not necessarily SEO related, or we haven't taken an SEO uh, perspective on it. Hmm. Uh, I guess really it's it's specific to SEO, whether it's technical or any updates that have recently come out. Like I said, I don't think this is something that we can bring up every week, but uh, specific to SEO. So basically just SEO because well, everything is this week in. Yeah, it's yeah this week in digital marketing and uh, and we have a little segment every once in a while. Keep your comments to yourself, Franco. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not interested. Hit us up and expound on what that, you that's would kidding. like to see. Just kidding. Yeah, hopefully you're kidding. We like all, all we do is tell people, reach out, and we give them our email. And, yeah, then, and, then, we and then he sends apart. us an email, and we give him a hard time about it. Well, Franco's also awesome on Snapchat, so follow him. I believe it's Franco Acosta. How do you know Franco? Uh, old Market Campus student. And I actually went to high school with him. So, two ways. Awkward. <laughs> So anyway, uh, let's get into our first topic, which is dark patterns. I asked you guys, I think it was two weeks ago, and I told I, I totally forgot that we were I was going to try to bring this up last week, but it didn't come up because Paxton was obsessed with Snapchat. But dark patterns that was one of our better episodes. It was. I I shouldn't I shouldn't talk about it in that way. I do I did like that episode a lot. What do you know about dark patterns, Paxton? All I know about dark patterns is what you told me. Do you remember what I told you? Um, if I remember correctly, it's basically when people trick 
people into thinking something's happening on a website that is not. That's a pretty good. That's pretty good. So uh, there's a website called darkpatterns.org, and it's kind of a directory. You you can submit examples of dark patterns that you come across uh, as you're browsing the internet, and there's some pretty famous examples on there. Uh, but if you go to darkpatterns.org, this is their definition. A dark pattern is a user interface that has been carefully crafted to trick users into doing things such as buying insurance with their purchase or signing up for reoccurring bills. Uh, so those are just a couple of examples of how you can trick users into doing things that they don't necessarily want to do. Uh, to get a little bit more specific, I'll use one example that is actually found on darkpatterns.org uh, that happened semi-recently within the last few months, and that is with Microsoft and their Windows 10 update. Um, actually, Brandon, you looked into it a little bit more than me. Why don't you give us a little bit more detail into that? So I may be butchering what actually happened, but because I kept hearing about this, but I hadn't looked into it, mainly because... I didn't see what the big deal was. Like for me, it's a no brainer to go to windows 10 from windows eight because windows eight was a disaster and I've heard good things about 10, but I did look at as good as they can get for as, being windows. As, yes. I have converted to Macintosh and, uh, it's been Macintosh, such an old Macintosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I converted to Apple. I just recently converted to Macintosh, but not to the new way of I saying it. I think I have it. the Lisa. It's fantastic. I anyway. just bought a desktop personal computer the yeah. other day. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I know the big thing. It doesn't thing... have a floppy disk drive. But it has 16 kilobytes of yeah. random access memory. <laughs> kilobytes. Anybody with Windows 8 has gone through uh, several pop-ups uh, of Microsoft trying to convince them to upgrade for free uh, to Windows 10 because I think after July something, it's no longer free. And So actually, before we get into this, what is, uh, what is Microsoft's incentive or the reasoning why they would want to trick people into getting it? Why do they care if they're on 10 or older? Uh, one reason I think is because they're constantly being made fun of at, at every worldwide. So they're trying to get everybody conference. off of eight. So Cause that... windows. Yeah. It's like they, they have the same problem that Android has where the users are all over the place. And it's, I could see how it's easier as a software company. If you know that majority of your users are using windows 10, I think the problem with that theory though, is the upgrade is only free for windows eight users, not older for older, which so I know I keep getting sidetracked here. I don't know Windows, and, and that's why these questions keep coming up. But Windows 8, my understanding was that Windows 8 was the first time they designed an operating system for tablet, tablet first and then took it to desktop, which was kind of a, kind of a big thing. Uh, is that the reason it blew up, or was it the interface itself? Users weren't ready for something like that. Do you know? Yeah, for None me personally, really when I people. used Windows 8, uh, I mean, you get used to it, but... It just didn't flow like I don't know, Microsoft has like that set layout that you're so comfortable with and you've you've grown up your entire life using it to then just switch it to where now it's like all these tiles. And I get like they made that update where the start but the start button came back, but it was easy for me to figure out. I mean, obviously, I'm fairly tech savvy, but older people that I knew, um, they just could not figure out how to access applications because they didn't know that you were supposed to hit like the Windows button to bring up all of the icons. But, okay, so uh, Windows 8 sucks. Windows so 8 back sucks. to this uh, dark pattern, what did they do? Basically, these uh, boxes kept popping up, and the one that made the news was 
it would say that uh, your system is, you know, or it would, there was two of them from what I can tell. The big one was, you know, you should upgrade to Windows 10. Here's all the benefits. And there was no option to say like, no thanks or anything. All the buttons were uh, basically agreeing to download or update. So if you click the X, which we've been accustomed to, that means no thanks, close the so window. So the X at the top right of the modal or the pop-up. The X would then start installing Windows 10, which I haven't read, again, deep enough to know if that was a developer mistake or if that was intentional. I find it hard to believe yeah, that no was way. intentional. Yeah. Um, but the other one was, which I thought was a little bit more clever, was basically saying, uh, hey, you know, your system preferences say that you want to keep your computer up to date. So you know, according to your settings, we're going to upgrade your operating system on May X, X date. So people would just kind of, and like the options weren't like, no thanks. It was either like upgrade now or okay, sounds good type (laughs) thing. And you would have to like go into the settings and like manually stop the download from happening on that date. So according to this website, dark patterns, they're listing that as one of the recent which are bait and switch, I guess, type things. That's right. So that is considered a bait and switch tactic. Now it comes and Brandon and I kind of had a, a small conversation before we started recording and I had to stop it so that we could uh, <laughs> talk more about it on the show. But I think that there are some bait and switch tactics that would not fall under uh, the dark pattern category. And also something I want to get into is ethics behind dark patterns. Um and if if you want to, we can throw in some legal stuff too. But that's kind of what we got into was talking about the legal aspect of it. Uh, one of the examples Brandon brought up was uh, something about checking out. What were you What were you saying about that? Oh, with like SaaS products oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in their advertising. Yeah. So you used an example where where someone uh, uh, some software was a dollar a month. Yeah, it was being advertised as it was a SaaS product. It was being advertised as a dollar a month, which was super cheap compared to the competitors. So I looked into it, and it really wasn't until you got to the checkout screen. So I hadn't bought it yet, but that's where you have to select your plan. And it's a dollar a month if you pre-buy three years of the subscription. Otherwise, if you want to do it month by month or you know year by year, the price goes way up. And so that was— So what's that? That's not a— So the, I guess my question was to Jacob, is that considered a, a bait—like they baited me with— this low deal, which sounds like it's just a dollar a month, which I guess is technically true, but the deceit was yes, if you pre-buy three years of it. I don't. I just want to say first, I'm not an expert in dark patterns. I have not. I've spent two weeks having known about it, and even less time really researching. So it. I'm kind so. of an expert on dark patterns because I just uh, you read just their heard about website. it just now. You just pulled it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, their their website it's talking about user interface design specifically. So, which you could uh, interpret in a lot of ways. Model, I don't know if that falls in there. And bait and switch is a term that's, you know, supersedes user experience design, supersedes the internet, precedes the internet. I it say. does, yeah. Uh, where basically it says here the user sets out to do one thing, but a different undesirable thing happens instead. So I don't know that that would qualify as bait and switch. I don't think it does either. Uh, I will say. As far as um, dark patterns or whatever, if I think there's a distinction between finding out. So in this example, $1 a month, and then before you purchase, you find out you have to do a three-year contract uh, versus if you sign up and then you find and out. Pay, and and then pay. Get, and then you find out yeah, that yeah. it's uh, a three-year thing. I think that that would be considered more of a dark sure. pattern. 
than if you can opt out prior to any damage being done other than, you know, wasting the five minutes it took you to get through that sales funnel. So I think last time we talked about this, you had mentioned something that you saw on a website where the website pretended to be doing calculations that they weren't actually doing. Oh, yes. Tell us about that. I forgot about that. So that was Neil Patel. So Quick uh, Sprout, right? Yeah, Quick Sprout. So Neil Patel, he is uh, he's uh, one of the big names in digital marketing. He makes tons of money, and uh, it's probably through a lot of his dark patterns that he does this. So if you actually go to quicksprout.com, and I'm going to do that right now, um, I found this article... Uh, where people were calling him out on it, and that is quicksprout.com right on the homepage. The the header says, make better content. Quicksprout is the easiest way for you to make better content so your audience and traffic continue to grow. And then you enter your URL. This actually, there are two examples. This is the lesser offensive one. This one is enter your, your URL, and you can type in like vivant.com, and then it says log in with Google. So it goes to my Google account and allows me to opt in using my Google stuff right now. Well, I think it forces you. It, so, yeah, if I want to use it, it, it does. You have to, I grant, have to grant access grant to your access analytics. To, exactly. Uh, my, yeah, to my account, basically. Which I'm sure they're Which using. I'm not going to do. But what that does and what it doesn't tell you it does is that you're granting them access to your analytics Mm-hmm. So that they can go in and see any property that exists within the the account that you gave them access to, um, which who knows what they're doing with that. Uh, it's I guarantee they're not going in there manually and like putting together a better content strategy for you based on your your analytics. Right. But it does say after you click the button, you'll be asked to to grant Quicksprout access to your Google uh, Analytics data. We'll be analyzing this data to give you insights on making better content. So. I guess there is some dispute on whether or not this is dark pattern because he tells you up front what he's doing. However, when he says we'll be analyzing this data, uh, what does that mean? You know, do they have some kind of platform that just goes in there and grabs whatever they, they need? Are they grabbing any personal information that you don't want them to have? Um, I'm trying to remember cause there was a second. <laughs> oh, I found it. If so you go to start, want, if you go yeah. to start here, yeah, you type in a website. I, I typed in a bunch of gibberish, comma, XC, uh, MN dot cob, C-O-B, uh, and then I hit analyze, and it says one error found, two errors found, three errors found. And it has a progress found, bar. A progress it, bar. It's, like, it's showing you. And the progress bar doesn't move steadily. It, like, creeps and stops and creeps. Yeah. And then it says, ouch, your website needs work. How does it know my website needs work? That's not even a website. Yeah, it's not a website. So I think this is a better example of dark Ugh. pattern where... Uh, you as a user are under the impression that your website is actually getting analyzed. And then no matter what you do, there are always problems. And that's where they trap you into thinking, (laughs) oh, I need help with my website. I need Quick Sprout. And then at the bottom, it says, reserve your confidential consultation with Neil. And it says, hurry, only one spot is available. Creating yeah. demand. Gross. Uh, I did just type in quicksprout.com to analyze and quick bro- uh, it says ouch your, what's, oh, your their website, website needs their work. website needs work. <laughs> Maybe Neil should look at their website. Yeah, they need a lot of work. Yeah, you can just go into the back end and look at the JavaScript and see that it's it's it'll do the same thing for so I can see how that one is considered because it's it's basically giving you fake information, never actually analyzed. And I think Jacob, you said you looked into the code and you can just see like a basically a preset loading bar that gives you the illusion of errors 
So as far as the one on the main page, I don't see like, A, are people saying that they know that Quick Sprout or Neil Patel is actually going into people's analytics and looking at data? Because I don't see how that's any different than plugging in your Google Analytics to a software like Moz. Like, I suppose any company could technically get in there. But, I mean, my analytics is hooked up to several different SaaS yeah, products. Yeah, you're right. But you're right. Uh, I just assume it's like... I don't think I would consider that dark pattern. Just so, kind so of... There's one that's a, it's called private uh, privacy zuckering. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah I, saw I saw that. that. The act of creating deliberately confusing jargon and user interfaces, which trick your users into sharing more info about themselves than they really want to. That came, that came specifically from a Facebook... Uh, uh, pri- uh, what is that called? Private policy... Thing yeah. that they came out with hence in 2010. The, hence the zuckering. Yeah. So to come back to the original definition, it's when a user interface has been carefully crafted to trick users, right? So in coming back to Quick Sprout, that second example where you plug in your URL and it analyzes it, and I'm using air quotes there, that would be specifically carefully crafted to trick the user into either doing something like signing up with them or tricking them into thinking that, that something is happening. That right. Isn't. I mean, who's using QuickSprout, right? People that don't know what they're doing. So people that don't know what it means to share your analytics data. So I would say that is creating something that tricks your users into sharing more info about themselves than they really want to. If they understood what was happening, they probably would not want to be sharing that. Yeah, it's not like there's like a little info button that you can click on to, to Learn more find about, all that out. Yeah. So I've got some beef with this dark patterns website because i'm looking through some of the examples and one of them is a uh, it shows various price comparison prevention and saying how this is a dark pattern so one example is papa john's you open up the papa john's app you click on the specialties hang on tell us how to get, how you got there where did you find it browse library and then i went down to price prevention or sorry price, price comparison, comparison prevention, prevention and there's a bunch of examples there okay go ahead but with papa john's you click on specialty pizzas and uh, there's an order called the works you pay 15.99 for the pizza and but if you were to go into the offers section, that same exact pizza on that day that you were ordering is available for eight ninety nine. So it's it's the same exact product. It's just discounted in the offers section. And so there, the claim on here is that if this was like a brick and mortar store and you went in and you ordered the item that is the specialty of the day or it's the deal of the day, they're they're just going to assume like that you know the deal like you're you're just going to get the deal price it's not going to be like oh you didn't mention that you wanted the special price you just asked for the hamburger that's for yeah. sale for full price so i don't see how that and then they use fandango as another example to where fandango doesn't let you compare prices between theaters you have to like select your city select the theater select the movie and then they give you the price so hang on be- before you get on there i want to i want to stay on the papa john's thing uh I think this would be considered dark pattern. In what way? In, in that if it's carefully crafted so that people will most likely choose the more expensive pizza, it's it's uh, getting them to do something that they wouldn't normally do or wouldn't want to do if they had all the information. Okay. Do you think that if you were to go to like a fast food joint and order a separate drink and some fries and a burger... Do you think it's their responsibility to say, hey, if you get that in a combo, it's cheaper? Do I think it's their responsibility? Basically, do you think they're doing something unethical by charging you for all of those three things separately instead of saying, hey, uh, if you get that in a combo, it's two bucks cheaper? Uh, what I don't understand there is 
Isn't that a combo? You're just asking for it in a different way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So, I mean, this happened to me the other day. Like, I got a, a frosty at at Wendy's and a burger and some fries, and it was like ten bucks. And she said, and I was like, "Is it cheaper if I get that in combo?" And she's like, "Uh, yeah." And it was like eight bucks. <laughs> so instead of saying, "I want a hamburger," "I want fries," "I want whatever," you say, "I want a number three. Is that the difference you're you're telling me? Yeah. Uh, do I think it's ethical if they charge you more if you uh, ask for it differently? Uh huh. Because um, that seems to me kind of what's happening here. So, I I don't. It, it's it's I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, like the... as an employee, especially at a fast food place, uh, they aren't necessarily the brightest people. They just kind of punch it in. I mean, to me, like this is kind of like a coupon. Like it's not the responsibility to be like, hey, there's a coupon that if you just went to this website and got this coupon, it'd be cheaper. I mean, yeah, that would be a as better a consumer. So, so the reason why I hesitate with the live in-person thing is because uh, we're not talking about ethics here. We're talking about carefully crafted user interfaces on a digital in a digital format. Okay, which is what which is what this is. It's an app, right? And and it I don't know if it's carefully crafted with that intent, and I don't know if the higher price. Page is always the same. It's just static, and the daily offers change all the time. So instead of just changing the the main uh, price page when there are the sales, offers. they just change the offers. My guess is that this is not carefully crafted in that way to trick people. It's just kind of on this day, some user found it, and they're like, what the heck? But if it were carefully crafted in that way, to uh, because if you look at it, you have um, – I'm looking down at the bottom – you have, uh, well, I guess you can't see from these pictures, but I imagine that, that you the menu gives you the full prices and then the offers, which is on the right, which is two options over. Um, I, I don't know. It mm. depends on intent. Really, it's just the intent. So would you say if you're on a website, you're about to, you're thinking of buying a product and there was a pop-up that you just closed and it was like, get 10% off your next purchase, but then you went and you checked out and you paid full price. And then you realize maybe later, like, oh, there was a 10% discount I could have used. Would you consider that a dark pattern? Like, if they're offering the discount for July 4th weekend, should that price automatically be applied to the product being sold? That makes sense? Oh, yeah, that does make sense. Um, no, I think that that's fine. I don't think that's a dark pattern at all. Because I would you're... see that the same. It's essentially, if anything, it's just more obvious. Like, there's a giant button that says offers on there. Click on it. Yeah, and you get you get yeah you give them the option again. It, it's tough, right? It has to do with intent, which maybe it doesn't have to do with intent because we don't know if Microsoft screwed up with the little X or if that was intentional. Uh, but um, so do dark as, pat, do dark patterns have to be unethical? Like, is that I haven't read into it enough, but it seems like the the message he I or think she so. is sending is that these are unethical practices from companies trying to trick you into giving more money to them. Yes, I think that it, it is directly tied to ethics. So he's saying Papa John's is being unethical so in this their is, approach. This is, you can submit your own dark patterns here. So this, this is most likely a user-generated piece of content. This is not, and maybe he curates them, so someone submits, and then he says, oh, yeah, this probably is dark patterns. So uh, if you watched, so I guess we should have said this a little earlier on. There's a 30-minute video on the homepage of darkpatterns.org that is the webmaster's kind of I think it's really just a recording of him giving a presentation to a to an audience but um I didn't watch the whole thing but the first 1 minute of it kind of explains pretty well his 
his idea behind Dark Patterns because some people have argued, why would you create this website that basically curates all these ideas for those <laughs> people who want to deceive people, and now they have a library of ideas that they can just go to so that they can trick people. And he, and he mentioned that. He said that's, that's a legitimate question. His answer to that is, uh, he gives an example of a con artist. He says, if there's a con artist and he has all these tricks up his sleeve and all he's doing is just tricking people, the best thing to do is to educate those people he's conning so that they can prevent being conned in the future. So it's a resource for people to uh, to go to and, and see, oh, oh, okay, great. So I can I can now prevent being conned from these companies who are using dark patterns. That's his explanation, which I think is legit. However, I also think that it's, I think it's kind of bull because the people who are most likely to get gypped or to be conned are not the people who are actively looking for sites like this to begin with. And there are way more people, way more fish, way more people. There are way more people to be uh, baited and switched or whatever than there are people who are savvy enough to, to come on here and find it. So to be honest, I think, I think honestly, this is a better resource for the uh, dishonest and the unethical than it is for people yeah. trying. I mean, you could say like, how many people are still sending money to some deposed Nigerian prince? Yeah. I mean, it's so popular, well known as a scam. Uh, people have moved on. Like, uh, like it's, those princes it's don't even ask for money it's anymore. In, it's in TV shows as a joke, but I'm sure people are still but calling it, for that. Crap. It seems like a lot of these, as I'm going through them. There's stuff that we're already aware of as consumers. We just have accepted that this is just how it is. <clears throat> like with, uh, I mean, the hotel industry, for example, so many hotels have these resort fees. So like it's this great rate. You're like, oh, this is awesome. It's so much cheaper. And then you, once you check out, it's like, oh, plus there's a parking, there's a $35 a day parking fee. And then there's the resort fee and then taxes and then all of this. And, or like you buy Hospitality a, fee. You buy a concert ticket and there's a $20 convenience fee attached to each ticket like different stuff like that and that, I, I think most people are aware of that they just kind of like well that's just how it is like i'm getting screwed and i know it um so i don't see how like educating would be any different Do you know you're getting screwed when you buy a concert ticket well i still have to buy a concert ticket so <laughs> i know i'm gonna have to pay that price that's right so here, let me give another example here uh one example used in that video was uh there's a Amazon type website in the UK. Uh, dang, what is it called? Um, I can't remember what it's called. It doesn't matter. But imagine you buy, a, so the example he uses is an iPad. So you buy an iPad and what happens in the dark pattern that he is showing in this example, you buy an iPad and it, it automatically gets put in your cart. But at the same time, so on your on the page and it shows you this, it shows the iPad, but then it auto uh, adds an iPad case for like an extra 30 pounds, right? Uh, and, but it gives you the option to to take that out. But if you don't, if you just proceed to check out, this is not something that you chose to put in your cart or anything. It shows it there, but you never clicked anything to add it. Then you purchase it and you get an iPad case. And the argument that they give the website is, oh, we're just, we're doing them a service. We're offering them a case to protect their iPad. Uh, but the dark pattern is this carefully crafted uh, page showing the iPad that you selected and then just below it, it has an iPad case and then you can proceed to checkout. Those people who don't review thinking, I only clicked on this iPad, are buying both. Now this goes into, uh, he, he kind of split it into two reasons. Even if people 
Uh, well, let, let me just read them. So the first one is uh, uh, companies are incentivized by doing dark patterns because they know that a good portion of people who fall for it will never notice. Mm-hmm. So if they get the iPad case, they'll just think, oh, great. It came with an iPad case. They won't think that they actually paid more for it. The second example is people who make the purchase and then notice, oh, uh, I just bought this and I just noticed that I just kind of got scammed or, oh, crap, I don't remember clicking this or I don't know what happened, but somehow I got an iPad case in my cart, but I already purchased it. And a good portion of those are either too busy or too lazy to rectify it. So they're like, oh, whatever, I'll just pay for the, the, the iPad case, you know. Uh, in some cases, depending on how much money is involved, I think there's probably a correlation between amount of money and willingness to dispute that. Uh, but those are the two things that companies, I think, rely on when they do things like this. So Windows 10 people, people who click the X and it automatically updates their computer, they think, man, what's it going to take? I'm not tech savvy enough anyway to do any of this stuff. Uh, what's it going to take for me to get Windows 8 back? And is it even worth it? So it, either people are too busy or too lazy after they notice or they never even notice, um, which is, I think, how people, companies specifically, or people like Neil Patel, uh, who um, take advantage of folks in that way. I don't know what the percentages of people are that kind of fall into those two categories, but it's probably a good amount. And you know what? It's probably really effective, too. People probably make a lot of money through dark patterns. Oh, I'm sure. Did you guys want to keep going on that, or do we want to spend the next little bit on ghostwriting? Let's talk about ghostwriting. Okay. Because you and I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) So, Paxton, why don't you introduce uh, where this came from? Yeah, so this came from an inbound.org post. Somebody said... Would you unfollow or stop paying attention to a, a particular influencer if you learned that they were using a ghostwriter, which basically means someone else is writing their content and publishing it under their name? Uh, What's your stance? My stance is no. I don't care who writes what content, provided the content is good. So if if there's some person that has a team of ghostwriters and they're able to crank out amazing content, by all means, keep it coming. In fact, I'd like that they're using ghostwriters because volume goes up, which means I get more good content. But if they're using ghostwriters and it stinks, honestly, if they're not using ghostwriters and it stinks, I'm not interested in following them. Yeah, so that's not the part we disagree on because I, I agree. I, I am of the, I'm in the school of thought that as long as it's good content, I don't really care who it comes from. So that's not the part I think we disagree on. Uh, what I don't like is when those claiming to be the author, and we can use Gary Vaynerchuk as an example because he uses ghostwriters. Uh, I think that uh, it's it should be more of a collaborative effort where, um, it, you know, to be honest, it also depends. There are some, dis, you know, factors in there that, that uh, depend on my opinion, but um, they should be credited in some way. Why? Because uh, it's their work. But they're getting paid for it. Yeah, you're right. So... You know, to some degree, you're, you know, Vivint pays you a paycheck and then the work you did becomes theirs. Well, it's kind of like agencies. Agencies are ghost marketers for companies often. Like or mar- marketers at agencies are ghost marketers too. Yeah. Like and you're I, creating I, content for someone else in their name. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's kind of where the, it depends comes in. Uh, for example, 
like Gary Vaynerchuk, I, I think that he comes up with all the ideas and maybe either doesn't have time or doesn't have the talent to write a really great article. So if he's kind of the driving factor, like he's basically, he every idea is his and he just needs someone to kind of write it out. Uh, that's Which different. is the case. That's different as far as than, for example, uh, James Patterson, who is the number one uh, most wealthy author in the world. And uh, most of the books that come out he has very little to do with. Uh, he might he might read them and edit them or whatever, but he comes out with like half a dozen books a year, uh, and most of them I, I, I'm I'm not even sure he's he's writing any of them anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that case, a book of his comes out, but he hasn't contributed even ten percent of the content in that book. I don't think he should get the credit for it, even though he's paying someone. Uh, I do understand that the structure built, those ghostwriters are happy to accept the money and I don't care if my name is involved. And that's not the issue that I have with people signing away their, their what's, name. What's the issue then? So I guess it comes back to early on in the nine cent floor days, we used pen names uh, and uh, we would, not that we would write the content, but we would come up with the, uh, the strategy behind the marketing campaigns that we did. And then we would give credit to the pen name which is a non-existent entity and we would build up the reputation of this non-existent person. Uh, and, uh, our personal brand was non-existent. And I think for those ghostwriters in the cases where they would like to, uh, increase or improve their personal brand, uh, they can't do it by, by doing it that way, which, you know, I, I understand the, um, the arguments behind, I don't know. I, I, I guess I see writing differently than I see other things, even infographics, you know, infographics, most of the time are, are white labeled. Uh, you don't necessarily see the designer's logo or the agency that's building it. Um, uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm thinking in kind of double standard talk. I think I kind of look at it, look at it just from a practical standpoint, you know, who, who cares, who gets the credit, the only thing I could see is as a user or as a consumer, if I'm interested in receiving more content from that particular person, I would be unable to find out who I can go to for more content like that, if that makes sense. So if, if you're ghostwriting a bunch of stuff under Brandon's name and I'm interested in reading stuff from Jacob, but I have no idea who, who it is that wrote that, and how I can get more of their writing, then that would frustrate me as a consumer. Yeah, I but can see that for sure. I can also say that that would never be the case because I don't care that much. And in most cases, you wouldn't even know right. to ask that. Sure. In a lot of cases, you know, like Gary Vaynerchuk is very open about having ghostwriters, so you know that there are people. I think he's pretty good at building up his own people too. Like he brings people onto his own Snapchat. Within videos, he, he gives them props and makes them look good. So I think he does pay back his staff pretty well who represent him in a lot of ways. I'm reading an article here on Contently, and it's uh, st- about Stephanie Land, who is Gary Vaynerchuk's like big ghostwriter. She was behind many, if not all, of his big-selling books. They talk about how, or she talks about how much time uh, Gary does spend with her because they were kind of asking in this interview, like, whose ideas are these? So she'll constantly be on the phone with him, and basically forcing him to dig deeper into his theories, into his ideas. Like, that's her job. The way she views it is getting as much information out of him as possible 
And then she goes and she just writes what Gary's ideas were from the phone calls, from the meetings. So she says the books are still his ideas. So it's still his book. It's his opinions. He just doesn't have the time to write them. I'm writing them. I'm getting paid for that. And that's how many of these people are. So I don't have a problem with that as long as the person who's being credited at least like had the ideation behind it, had say in it. What I may not like is somebody, Jacob has uh, a ghost writer who he just says, hey, could you write three articles a month and get those published out there? And that's pretty much all he has to do with it because those didn't come from Jacob's mind. They just came from this ghost writers. So, so that, that's, the, that's where I'm coming from. Is And Gary Vaynerchuk probably isn't a good example, obviously. But I think more often than not, ghostwriters are being taken advantage of in that way where uh, the author... And you know what? My problem really isn't on the ghostwriting side. It's with the, the supposed author that's paying who is uh, taking... It's, it's, it's almost like plagiarism to me, right? I don't care if you pay for it. <laughs> I don't care if you pay for it. You are taking credit for having written this even though you did not. This reminds me of that episode of Seinfeld where Elaine's boss pays Kramer for all of his stories. Oh, yeah. His life stories. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he gets to the point where he can't even tell his friends. Well, No, you, that's true. Yeah. So do you example. see then like agencies, for example, I know there's lots of other groups that do this. They have writers who their full-time job is to write articles for brands, for individuals. That's what they get paid to do. They make their living doing that. Do you view that process as something that needs to be disrupted or changed or even unethical with basically people who are full-time content writers? So maybe, but not everyone does that. Like at Vivint, for example, we use a company called Skyward and they, they write a ton of articles for us, but the author, the actual person who wrote the article is the, uh, the listed author on the blog. So this Skyward employee, their name, and I don't know if it's their picture, mm. I think it's just their name, is credited as the actual author of this post on the blog. So it's not white-labeled. Uh, you can click on that, and, and, and it uh, you know puts all of the articles that this one specific author has in the archive, and you can read them all. You can have a favorite author. Uh, that's, I think, how it should be done. Um, and why not? Why not give them credit? So how would you go about, let's say you're the, you're the next CEO of Vivint, you're a busy guy, you want to start getting some thought leadership pieces out there, you build a ghost writer team or just hire one, how would you go about in the article giving credit? Like say it's still by Jacob Perry, do you just do something at the bottom where yeah. it's a disclaimer? I, or? I, I would personally, I would, I would say, because in that case, I would imagine that, that the article would be filled with my ideas. And if I had a ghost writing team, I would, I would have myself. Um, as um, creator, uh, I probably wouldn't even use the word author, uh, or I wouldn't say written by. I'd say uh, I, I'd have my name on there somewhere, and uh, I'd also have uh, the team. I would, I would for sure 100% credit every single person who was involved in that specific project. How would you word it specifically? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I would come up with a way to word it. That Special was thanks amazing. to? All right. Special well. thanks to? Yeah, maybe. That's probably the way I would approach it. So yeah, you would do it too? Um, yeah. Like if someone, I don't know, like I don't care, I guess, either way. But um, I see it as a way to show appreciation for the team that helped you accomplish this specific task. Yeah. You could also uh, bargain for discounts in the writing then if you can say, hey, I'm giving you some exposure here as well. So yeah, but I'm then, only paying but then you it's this. not out of appreciation. <laughs> 
Well, it's out, it's out of uh, obligation at that point. Yeah, that's true. Well, interesting. Well, I think we, in a sense, agree on that. In some things, yeah. In some areas. I do I do get, and, and you know, depending on how it is, I do understand that uh, it is, it could be uh, the exact same argument for someone who creates an infographic, or someone who creates a video, or someone who creates a website. You know, how often is a web developer given credit for the websites that they create? Yeah. They might do it on the back end. I guess the at the code. end of the day, if the creator has been fairly compensated, I don't see an issue with it. I think that's the direction Paxton yeah. was going. Because, yeah, then when you start applying it to other areas like web design, all that stuff, it's like people don't expect to be credited even though it was their work that did it. So, but, yeah, tech words are different. Yeah, no, it's true. And you know what? If if we had another ten minutes to talk about this, I may be swayed one way or the other. I'm not I'm not super firm on it. I'm firm in some ways, but in others I'm kind of loosey goosey. Anyway, uh we're out of time. I know we could probably spend another hour talking about both of these topics and more. Uh but uh I've got some family stuff I need to get to. <laughs> <laughs> so uh highly encourage anyone who has additional feedback or thoughts on both dark patterns or ghostwriting. If you want to become a ghostwriter for us, shoot us uh, an email, inbound at belowthefold.io. Again, Franco, thank you for your feedback. We encourage others to follow suit. You can also catch us on Twitter, belowthefold.io, or individually, Paxton M. Gray on Twitter, Snapchat. Brandon is Brandon Hassler pretty much everywhere, and I am pretty much everywhere, bocadge03. That's Jacob backwards, 03. Uh, Until next week, we'll catch you later.